0: Wonderwork power in the pressure as they seem are not the results of massive You may wish to adjust the dial you are currently tuned into the wrong station. After she had run, there had been a time when Sammo still saw his older sister, in his dreams. In the hour separating his grey, bleak days, he would find himself walking with her through the streets of South Form where they grew up, and she would be full of laughter, as she had always been when he was small, and she would be pointing out all the small ways that life crept through the cracks of their concrete world. He no longer dreamed of her not since he'd been picked up in a police dragnet during the June riots last year, when he was fourteen. The charges against him had been looting, resisting arrest, and assaulting an officer. What he'd actually done was go out to bring his big sister home and get caught in a police kettle over in West Form. When the officers finally closed in, after keeping them eight hours, Sammo had nearly suffocated in the press of bodies. Afterward, He'd heard a girl he'd gone to school with actually had died in a kettle that day. He never found out if that was true or not. In exchange for a guilty plea, the public defender had managed to swing Samuel a course of... induction. Trust me, kid, the defender had said. He'd been a long-faced man with a gray ponytail and purple pouches under his eyes. Induction's the best-case scenario here. They're trying everyone from the riots as an adult. Prisons, no place for someone your age. In the months since, Sammo had come to wish he hadn't trusted him. Induction was about the same way every time. He was strapped to a table for his own safety, and the stainless steel was cold and hard beneath him, uncomfortable as life itself. Easy now, Dr. Martell would say in his rich purple voice. But his hands would be white-cold and ungentle as they forced his head into the divot on the table, and then velcroed the restraint over his forehead. Samo was always covered in sweat by this point, even though the induction chamber was frigid. Here comes the sand, man. <laughs> the same unfunny joke every time. But there was no magic sand involved in induction, just more stainless steel, Attached to an apparatus like an old-fashioned dental x-ray, a cold plate pressed down on his forehead, and then two smaller plates, twinned like a scorpion's claws, would spring from either side to clamp against his temples. The pressure stopped just short of busting his skull like an egg. Once he was held, Dr. Martell would apply cold gel electrodes to the shaved patches on Samo's head. No matter how long he lay there, the gel and steel never felt any less cold. After that would come what was clearly Dr. Martel's favorite moment. He would pause a moment and linger over Sammo, smiling inscrutably at the fifteen-year-old boy strapped helpless to his table. There we go, he'd murmur, safe and sound. Sammo tried never to react to this moment, no matter how much he hated the doctor's bright, staring blue eyes, or how the doctor's jutting lower lip moistened itself in between fronds of chestnut goatee. He felt that any reaction on his part would be recorded and used to justify further rounds of induction. It was like the cops said, anything you say can and will be used against you. But eventually, this hungry, staring moment would pass, never with more than a cold caress along his bare arm, and then Martell would pass behind the one-way glass, always watching, never watched, and flick a series of unseen switches to power up the machine. It began with a deep hum somewhere in the wall behind Samo, and then a tingle of static in the air. Sail away. Sail away, (laughs) Dr. Martell said, just like falling asleep. Only, it wasn't like falling asleep. Just falling. It was as if the ground had given way underneath the table, and the table was smashing down through floor after floor of the Medical Justice Center, and then down into an endless cold abyss inside the earth. And as he fell... It was like he was falling away from himself, leaving important parts of him behind, up in that lab under the hard white lights. As he fell, he grew foggy, afraid, and unsure. And then he was gone altogether in the darkness, and a disjointed consciousness that was not quite his own roamed through strange and awful places. Sammo. The voice that called to him made his skin crawl. It was half his own and half Dr. Martell's. Sammo, where is she? He did not answer as he hurtled out of the darkness and into the dream. This time he was an astronaut. Or something like that. He was somewhere else, on some strange world with a team of others. They were looking for somebody. Somebody who had run away, and the powers that be had sent his team to bring them back. This world was too dangerous. For the person's own good, they had to be brought back to civilization. Strange jungles spread out before him, alien hills. Clouds of fluffy spores drifted on a cool wind between craggy heights, and bizarre fauna lurked in the shadows of this steep and vernal land fungal fronds spread above them as they hiked. Taller than oak trees, his mushrooms were a translucent pinkish-gray and mottled with veins of yellow and cyan. The look of them made him uneasy. They looked too much like the creature he knew was coming, the creature that came to every dream. Up ahead, they spotted a house on a high outcropping, it was completely out of place in this haunted, otherworldly jungle, a whitewashed bungalow lifted from some suburbia Samo had only ever seen on TV. The astronaut's team leader ordered them to climb. Sammo didn't want to go. He knew the creature would be up there. But in his dreams, as in life, he had no choice. The astronauts began to climb, and Samo climbed with them. And then, the dream jumped ahead in time, as dreams sometimes do, and he and his team were already inside. He ran his gloved fingertips along the wall. This place looked familiar. The outside of the bungalow had looked like an establishing shot from a 90s sitcom. The inside looked like the run-down home of a social worker he had seen when he was young. He recognized the picture frames on the walls, even though each frame contained nothing but an empty, grey blur. He recognized the filmy white curtains that blew on a cool breeze from the open windows, even though the sky beyond was hazy, blurred, and sickly, greyish-pink. Unlike his social worker's house, this building had no roof. What it did have was a staircase that dog-legged up into the empty air of an absent upper level. And it also had a monster lurking just outside. He threw his back to the wall between two windows and did his best to be completely still. His chest was pounding, a cold sweat was running between his shoulder blades. He could hear the creature's huge, soft tread in the low foliage outside the windows. Its shadow fell through the window on either side of him to darken the living room. His heart crept into his throat. It was right behind him. He could feel the slow rumble of its breath between the thin wall of gypsum and press board. One of the other astronauts was pressed against the far wall, keeping just as still as he was. She looked like that girl he'd gone to school with, the one who'd died in the June riots. He could see himself reflected in her staring, terrified eyes, and behind him, the huge, sloping shadow of the creature's shoulders. He hadn't seen the creature in this dream yet, but he knew what it looked like. He had met it so many times before. Dr. Martell called it the Loxodont. Samo was holding a gun now. He hadn't been a moment before, but some part of his mind was determined to fight back, determined to live... And had forced the weapon into existence. It was a bolt-action rifle, like he'd seen in the old movies they played on repeat on the basic channel. There was no reason an astronaut would ever carry something like it, but he felt confident he could use the rifle, even though he'd never held a firearm in real life. His mind was racing, his thoughts running like cold sweat. If he could just reach the top of the stairs, he thought, he could get a good shot down on his enemy. One bullet, Right between the eyes, and then... "'Look out!' somebody whispered. Samo froze. Something had slithered through the window, parting the curtains with a gentle gesture. It looked like a blackened, skeletal hand encased in pinkish gel, except where the naked, sharpened fingertips extended to glimmer darkly in the grayish light. The hand slid slowly into the house, turning, probing the air, propelled not by an arm, but by a muscular, elephantine trunk of translucent, pinkish-gray, through which black vertebral bones could be dimly glimpsed. In spite of herself, the astronaut across from him made a small noise of terrified revulsion. The hand swiveled toward her. She had time to look at Sammo with pleading eyes. And then the hand shot out, as if driven by compressed gas. It punched through her chest and into the wall. Blood erupted on the parquet floors. Samo's ears filled with screams, and he ducked under the trunk, sprinting for the stairs. Somebody fired a weapon, and then the loxodont broke the pressboard walls, coming through like a tidal wave, and there were sounds of ribs and organs being pulverized as Samo leaped up the stairs, three at a time and turned, balancing atop that stairwell that led to nowhere. He found himself looking down into the creature's eyes. The other astronauts were dead already, painted across the walls and furniture. The loxodont stared back. In some ways, it was like an elephant, but its body was too long, too tall and lean. The pinkish gel of its flesh hung loose like curtains between its monumental bones, and there was something trembling and whippet-like about its ducked tail, and long, furtive limbs. Its earless head had a trunk and swooping black tusks. Its narrow face was filled by a pair of huge, liquid eyes, oval-shaped, and black as a dreamless sleep. Samo shouldered the gun and fired. The bullet ripped a bloody path of the loxodont's loose skull and free-floating brain. And for a moment, Samo thought he'd won. But then, with a wet sound, the gel curdled around the wound and closed. Once more, those huge black eyes stared up at him. A deep voice said. Sammo. It seemed not to come from the creature, but from the walls of his own head. It sounded like his own voice, and like Dr. Martell's. Sammo, tell me where she is. He shook his head and let the gun fall from slack fingers. The trunk shot out toward him. The last thing he saw were its black, clawed fingertips. And then he awoke. There now, there now, said Dr. Martell. A cold hand caressed his bare shoulder, gripping him through the cold sweat. As ever, Dr. Martell lingered a moment before undoing the restraints, letting himself savor his own power. Had a bad dream, did we? Tat-tat. I tried, Samo said. I didn't mean... But Dr. Martell cut him off. You're still resisting, he said. We have to curb these tendencies of yours, Sammo. Otherwise, you're too dangerous, and we'll have no choice but to put you in an institution. Sammo was crying. Really, he said. I didn't mean to resist. I'm trying. Then why do you keep doing it? I don't mean to. It's just... Sammo. Sammy. Sam, my boy. The Loxodont is not your enemy. This image you've projected onto it is all your own making. If you did not on some level want the Loxodont to be a monster, it would not appear as such. Then why does it hurt me every time? Sammo thought these words, but did not say them. Instead, he said, I swear, I've learned my lesson this time. I'll never do it again. And I believe that. Dr. Martell cooed. I really do, Sammo. But sadly, the board needs to know your behavior will change. I'll try harder, Sammo said. Good boy. Good boy. Dr. Martell brushed his cheek with the back of two fingers. Do I have to come back? said Sammo. Oh, my, yes. I'm afraid today's results are nowhere near acceptable levels. At this stage, the guidelines give me no choice but to assign another six rounds of induction. Another six rounds. Samo wasn't sure he could survive it. But he was sure he didn't have a choice. All right, he said. It was consent to bad treatment here, or be forced into worse elsewhere. The receptionist gave him two cookies sealed in plastic on his way out the door, part of the clinic's compassion allowance. They dissolved in his mouth as he walked out into the gray streets of South Form. They were mostly artificial syrup. His mother wasn't there when he got home. She was at work, but he wasn't sure which job. When Samo's sister had gone truant, the state had slapped their mother with a crippling fine, and she needed to pick up an extra job to pay it off. Samo closed the door behind him and stood for a moment with his eyes shut, enjoying how it felt to just be safe. He poured himself a cup of water after that because the fridge was empty and he wanted to feel full. Then he stood in the grey light that reached his mother's window through a concrete air shaft in the apartment block and wondered what to do for the rest of the day. There was no school today and no shifts available at work, He wanted to wander around outside, but with the amount of police in his neighborhood that would put him in a position to get picked up, and with his papers, one arrest, in treatment, with a truant and suspected radical in the family, they'd think it was justified to pin something on him. So he decided to sit on the small concrete balcony, watching smoke rise from the new round of protests over in East Form. It wasn't the most productive use of time, but at least he thought it would keep him clear of police. Until a fist started pounding on the door, he felt immediately sick and crept as stealthily as he could toward the peephole. It was the truancy officer, a woman whose badge read Detective Constable Stacy Falcon, when it wasn't covered up. Today it was. On the other side of the peephole, she said, "'I can hear you in there.' He opened the door, keeping the chain drawn, and Falcon gave him a tight-lipped smile that didn't reach her dark, grey eyes. "Samu, mind if we have a quick chat?' He looked at the ground. "'What do you want to talk about?' he murmured. "'Just open the door.' He hesitated. "'You'd better not be thinking about asking for a warrant.' He unlatched the chain, and she pushed lazily past him, almost knocking him to the floor. Before he could even catch his balance, she'd gone into his bedroom and torn open the closet. He stammered a protest, and she ignored him, tearing aside the hanging clothes and then checking under his bed. After that, she pushed him out of her way and did the same thing to his mother's room. She was a large, square-jawed woman with yellow hair pulled into a ponytail. The bulletproof vest made her look solid and impossible to resist. Once she was satisfied that there was no one else hiding in the unit, she shoved Sammo into a chair. Where is she, Sammo? She put her hands on her hips as she stood over him, drawing attention to the taser, baton, pepper spray gun, and knife on her belt. Where's who? Leaning forward, she pressed her finger into the hollow of his throat, gently pinning him to the chair's gray back. I don't want any games, Sammo. I think you know where your sister is, and I think you're obstructing a police investigation. I could have you in a gen pop two hours from now. How do you think your mom would feel about that, huh? Losing both her kids. Please, officer. He lied. I don't know anything. She stared at him for a long moment, He looked away and she grabbed his jaw. Look at me when I talk to you. She angled his head toward her terrible, staring eyes. He looked into them. They looked into him. She sighed and dropped him back into the chair as she straightened up. I want to believe you, Sammo, but I've seen your tendency chart. It's just bad genes, I guess. A type that can't do the right thing without... Encouragement. So I'll tell you what. Why don't you find something out for me? Hm? Find something I can use, and then I can stop bothering you. Okay? He said nothing and looked away. She pulled her baton and used its cold edge to angle his head up at her. Oh. Kay? Hmm. He said. I'm gonna need to hear you say it, Sammo. Okay, I'll find something for you. Good boy. She sheathed the baton and ruffled his hair with an unkind hand, not noticing or not caring how he flinched. If you find something good for me by next week, maybe we can talk to Dr. Martell about those treatments, eh? She patted his cheek and walked out of the apartment without waiting for a reply. She didn't close the door behind her. Later, he found himself falling through darkness, and then the falling turned into running, and the darkness turned into thick, roiling smoke from the burning barricades. He was back in last year, the June riots. He was terrified because he happened to be wearing navy blue, and since the protesters were in block, the police had declared open season on anyone wearing dark colors. He was searching for his sister... But he knew this dream didn't end with him finding her. In real life, it had ended with seventy-two hours locked alone in a cold gray room without food, formal charges, or a lawyer. In his dreams, it always ended with the loxodont. He heard screams behind him. The crowd panicked and started to run, like they did every time, and Samo had no choice but to run as well, or get knocked off his feet and trampled to death. The crowd surged around him and he started to fall behind. He heard hard boots pounding on the asphalt behind him and the clatter of plastic shields. He rounded a corner, but there were panicked people running from that direction too, and someone crashed into him, and he went down and the boot crunched his hand, and someone else stepped on his chest before he could scramble back to his feet and begin to back away from the advancing riot line behind him. He couldn't get far. The crowd had stalled, blocked off by another line ahead of them. They were caught. His eyes and throat burned. There was a haze of CS gas on the air, drifting over from south form. He tried to push through the crowd, but it was packed too tight, and he kept having to double over coughing from the fumes. His ears Pounded with the echoing ring of clubs on polycarbonate shields, with the deafening jabber of an Elrad declaring unlawful assembly, and ahead of him, dark figures advanced in a phalanx, silhouetted against flames and orange-tinged plumes of gas. Behind them, dark-eyed, translucent and suffused with fiery orange light, towered the Loxodont. He stood... "'paralyzed before it, unsure of what to do and trembling with fear. "'This time he almost told it where she was. "'And then, for the thousandth time, "'he felt the razor touch of its black fingertips against his throat. "'And then he was awake on the cold chrome steel of the table.' with Dr. Martell's cold, white hand caressing his bare shoulder. There, there. Had a bad dream, did we, my boy? Tut-tut, Sammo. Tut-tut. Again, that lingering moment before the straps were undone. And then Sammo was sitting up, rubbing his face, massaging blood back into the white marks the restraints had left against his skin. We're here to get you all lined up in terms of your subconscious, Samo," said Dr. Martell, but sometimes it seems to me like you're trying to have bad dreams. Is that the truth, Samo? No, doctor. Are you sure? It's just that I'm starting to think we might need to use more drastic measures. I'm not trying to. But was he? He wasn't even sure anymore. There was a time when he'd resisted on purpose. Now, he was just trying to survive. Hmm. Hmm. We'll see. I got a very interesting call from Detective Falcon over at the truancy office, Samo. Samo's heart fell. She said she had a very interesting conversation with you the other day. She said you were very aggressive towards her. There was a time when that statement would have filled Sammo with burning, righteous anger. Now it just left him empty, with dead leaves blowing through. Now it just made him want to give up. No, sir, he said. She says differently. Are you calling her a liar, Sammo? No, sir. Then you were aggressive with her. No, sir. Well, which is it, Sammo? Is she lying, or were you aggressive with her? Sammo said nothing. Sammo. Dr. Martell looked concerned. Genuinely concerned. And Sammo wasn't sure if he was an incredible actor, or if he had just really convinced himself he cared. Sammo. You need to understand that willful obtuseness on your part is not acceptable behavior. It wastes my time. And since I'm paid out of the public purse, wasting my time is, in effect, property damage. It's violence, Samo. It's violent behavior. Just the same as smashing a window or spraying graffiti. And if it keeps up... He didn't finish the thought... He left Sammo to fill in the blank. That the state would react with violence of its own. The real kind. The kind that causes pain. On his way back out to the dingy grey streets of South Form, Sammo accepted his cookies from the receptionist, because not taking them would be seen as further sign of dissent. And that night, he woke up after dark, and there were sounds of distant gunshots, and screams outside, and truncheons ringing against shields, heads, and limbs. His mother wasn't home. She was out at work, but which job? He wasn't sure. He left the apartment, and his footsteps echoed down concrete stairwells, and then he was out on the street, and it was fogged with CS gas again, like it had been last summer, The gas glowed the light of fires, like in his dreams, and the concrete buildings echoed with the sound of riot chants. Somewhere further away toward east form, gunshots crackled on the night, and somehow he knew, from some subtle flavor of the sound, that the police were no longer using baton rounds, but live ammunition. And though he knew it couldn't be, some... Part of him was filled with the wild hope that it wasn't the police shooting, but the radicals, and that his sister was with them, and that it would all come out all right in the end. And it felt so good to hope, so good to feel something other than fear and emptiness, that he stepped down from the concrete stoop, and joined the marchers on their way to the front lines, and damn whatever they did to him this time... When he arrived, someone passed him a shield made from a road sign and sorted him into place in the second rank. And when the police charged, he helped the crowd push them back. And when the gas came, he held on, suffocating, purple-faced, until the leaf blowers came up to blow it back. And when the creature, that wretched giant with its empty eyes and clawed trunk appeared through the smoke and flame towering above the rooftops... Sammo found a glass bottle in his hand, and he lit the rag and threw it like a spiraling comet through darkness and smoke until it shattered in flames against the loxodont's head and shards of burning glass spiraled down on the armored forms below, and the beast burned, and its jellied flesh ran like liquid soap, and Sammo felt free and alive and whole for the first time in a long, long time. And outside his office, Dr. Martell watched the jags and valleys of the boy's brain monitor, and a sad, resigned look crossed over his face. This week's episode, The Inductor, was written by Alexander Saxton and performed by Anthony Botello. The Wrong Station is made possible with the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Thank you to Zion J, Lem, Insufficient Data for a Meaningful Answer, Hannah, and a very special thanks to Stacy Falcon for helping us keep the lights... well... off. You can also support us by leaving a rating and review on iTunes, or wherever it is you listen to The Wrong Station. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte-Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Ilan Citrin, and arranged for the viola and performed by Viola Schmidt. You can follow The Wrong Station on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. And until next time, thank you for listening.